Everyone to episode 167 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we stick to a biographical theme that we sort of touched on last week with a mini review of Spencer. Uh, this time with the Richard Williams slash Venus and Serena Williams biopic, King Richard. Before we get to that, though, with me as always, I have my co-host Scott Harvey. Scott, happy week of Thanksgiving. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Scott. Definitely looking forward to the holiday uh, long weekend. Uh, going back to Tennessee for the first time in quite a while. Um, we'll be headed back on Wednesday. We're going to be uh, hanging out on Friday, I believe. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward yeah. to you in know, the house of the Gucci, big, baby. The big meal uh, and everything is always a highlight of every year to be quite honest. Um, so last year I missed it because I had just moved over here to North Carolina, like um thanksgiving uh week actually tomorrow um at the time of our recording is my one year anniversary at my job so um i didn't get to go home last year and have my my mother's home cooked meal but uh, i'm definitely not missing that two years in a row so um for sure and i'm excited for that excited to have a little bit of time to relax because frankly my work schedule doesn't allow that very often (laughs) Yeah, and especially with all the other stuff that you juggle outside of work that you right is a lot of work, but you do enjoy, um, but still doesn't leave much time to to breathe. But yeah, I, I'm back in Chattanooga as well for the first time in almost two years because I didn't come wow. home at all during Been the pandemic. Yeah, last year I was super nervous that things were just going to be a disaster traveling and things weren't very good in Tennessee COVID-wise either. Um, so I just played it safe and, and stayed up in Boston at the time. But now I'm back home and it's been really nice to be back for the few days. We actually sort of already did our Thanksgiving because my girlfriend is here for a few days, but is going back to Miami where she lives um, for Thanksgiving with her family who's visiting her down there. So we sort of punted it forward. So I had my day of cooking and eating yesterday. Um, I actually did all the cooking for us, which was a lot of fun. Um, Wow. Since my, yeah, since not, working 30,000 hours a week anymore. I cook a lot more in, in New York and um, I was happy to, to cook here and we had a really good time and I had to go on a nice long walk, you know, this evening lit earlier to uh, walk off <laughs> some of the bloat <laughs> of of eating the last couple of days. And I'm feeling That's a little bit better fair. now. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit better now, but I, I'm excited for the rest of the week, just getting to relax and yeah, absolutely seeing I mean, I, I guess I've seen you. I've seen you quite recently, but some of the other people who are coming to our little hangout on Friday to to see Lady Gaga um, and Adam Driver, I've not seen in a while, so it's exciting. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's the real purpose of our get together is just to see Lady Gaga. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not a negative. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and apparently even Jared Leto is not a negative in the movie, but I'll believe it when I see it. If that is the case, it's only because you literally don't even know it's Jared Leto in the role. Yeah, that <laughs> probably does have a lot to do with it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Well, be that as it may, we, we will be getting to House of Gucci next week. But this week, as I already mentioned, the topic is all about the father of Venus and Serena Williams, whose midlife raising his two daughters to tennis stardom is the subject of this week's episode, biopic King Richard. Directed by Rinaldo Marcus Green, last seen directing the Mark Wahlberg-led biopic Joe Bell last year, and starring Will Smith in the titular role, King Richard focuses the camera first on Richard. Venus, played by Sanaya Sidney, and Serena, played by Demi Singleton, in Compton, California, at the turn of the decade in 1990, when Venus was 10 and Serena 8. Desperate to capture the attention of a top professional to take Venus and Serena to the next level, Richard relentlessly works his two burgeoning tennis players, all the while submitting audition-like tapes to local pros like Laird Stabler, Vic Braden, and Paul Cohen. 
based on true events and with all momentum heading toward Venus's first professional tournament at the age of 14, King Richard serves a dual purpose of shedding light on the role Richard Williams played in the tennis upbringing of his biological daughters, but also the road to success of these two soon-to-be tennis icons. Scott, did King Richard mesmerize you with powerful lead performances and a biographical story worth reckoning with? Or, like several biopics of the last few years, ultimately feel a bit toothless and only scratching the surface of its potentially intriguing material? Yeah, I'd have to say the latter there pretty much sums it up for me. Um, the The performances are definitely the, the high point of the movie. Um, I do think they are quite a bit better than in, you know, the that average sort of biopic that you're describing there. Um, but for the most part, this movie is very safe. It very it sticks very much to the sports biopic formula um, mm-hmm. that, you know, is tried and true for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Um, uh, you know, it, this movie is basically going to be exactly what you expect it to be. And, you know, for a lot of the people who will go to see it, that's fine because the movie is a crowd pleaser. Right. And I do think the crowds will be pleased um, by, you know, whether they go out to the theater to see this or watch it at home. I actually watched this at home. Uh, I, th- it, I think it, it doesn't well. appear that anyone uh, any crowds really the theaters to see this movie based on box office receipts. But I watched it at home. You watched it at home. This is the kind of movie around Thanksgiving, especially. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems even particularly ripe for uh, cannibalization. Yeah. Yeah, I had a ticket um, for Saturday, but I don't know. I was just having kind of a lazy Saturday, so I just thought I would stay in and watch it. Yeah, you're right. This is not one where I was like, I have to go see this on the big screen. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it was nice to have it there on HBO Max. Uh, you know, I guess that's a benefit of this whole day and date, um, you know. For the consumer. Plan that, that WB has been doing now for a while. Um, so, you know, watching it at home, it was it was fine. I mean, the time passes pretty quickly. It's a longer movie, but it's engaging enough. I didn't feel like it was that overlong, um, especially because you don't. To me, but yeah, you don't get into the sports action really until the very end of the movie, because you know part of a, a big story element is that Richard Williams basically holds his kids out of playing in tennis tournaments for like three years or something, isn't it? Is it that long? It's that long, isn't it? um three or four years yeah yeah because he's you know what they seem to suggest in the movie that he's concerned about the psychological the impact that it's going to have on them because jennifer capriotti is going through you know basically gets busted for weed she was someone who started sort of at their age um it was so funny to hear that scene she's like with a small look with a minor possession of weed i'm like oh man how far we've come (laughs) Being dismissed in a heartbeat nowadays, but um, but That's yeah, not illegal um, in those places, right? He doesn't want his daughters basically to be a ca- cautionary tale, um, yeah. and that's you know a lot of his his mindset. Um, but the movie, yeah, I mean, toothless. Use the word toothless. It is kind of toothless, and I mean, look, Venus and Serena are executive producers on the film. Um, whenever I see that in the biopic it makes me very skeptical that the movie is going to be doing anything interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this movie mostly, again, when you see that they're giving a producer credit. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like the the movie that you get makes sense given that Venus and Serena are producers on the movie. Um, There are one or two scenes, right. Where, um, you know, maybe they are a little bit critical of Richard Williams's there's, there's one argument discussion between him and his wife in the kitchen um towards the end that is sort of the one you know introspective moment i think in the movie but i think at the end of the day it's kind of like the the end justifies the means seems to be sort of the message of uh the way that they choose to tell this story like richard williams right like he's he's very stubborn he's very tenacious he's very controlling of his daughter's careers um but, you know, at the end of the movie, it's like, well, he got what he wanted. Right. And, you know, his his daughters seem to be happy. They achieved success and everyone's happy. So, um, you know, his mm. his means for bringing about their success, it they were justified in the end. 
And, you know, fine. Sure. You know what? That, that's fine. But I, I do think there's probably a lot, another side to this story that is not really being told in this movie. Um, and I, you know, people's feelings on this will differ, I'm sure. But I, I do have some misgivings, I guess, about, um, you know, basically his decision to sort of backseat drive his entire his daughter's career basically from their birth right i mean we see that from the very beginning of the movie like that he's you know he he wants his daughters to from their birth like he's got it planned out for them that they're going to be um you know the the next two um oh gosh why am i blanking now on what michael jordan's michael jordan's yeah he says no i got the next two um but the performances in the movie are really good and not just will smith right who's getting all of the oscar buzz um, I think Anjanu Ellis, who plays his wife. I think Sanaya Sidney and Demi Singleton, who you mentioned as Venus and Serena, um, are really good. Tony Goldwyn and John Bernthal play sort of their coaches um, in two different phases. Um, and I think they're both effective supporting roles. So that's what really, you know, sells the movie for me is the performances. And again, the story is interesting enough. It's a very watchable movie. Um, but just not really breaking any new ground. And there, you know, it's it's too bad because, like I like I'm suggesting, you know, there is ground that can be broken with this story. I think. Um, and maybe you know, uh, uh, yeah, maybe maybe As, uh, especially when you take into account the, you know, the racial aspect of, it. and I actually think they do do a better job, a, a pretty decent job of at least getting that part of the story right. Um, so they they don't hit you over but, the head with that, which I actually kind of appreciate. I feel like it could have really devolved a different. And point. I actually like where they chose to end the movie, but we can talk about that. Um, sure. A little later, but yeah, those are my thoughts on the movie. Um, pretty safe movie. Wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if it gets nominated for best picture. Um, just because one of these, like every year, seems to get nominated for yeah. best picture, right? Like, it was, and this feels it was, this it. It definitely feels like one. Will Smith is going to get the nomination for sure. He may even get the win. He may even be the front runner at this point. Um, Maybe. Which is fine. He's probably done better work. Um, he and Benedict Cumberbatch are probably the two, right? Right now. Yeah, that that's probably fair. Uh, maybe Andrew Garfield is going to get himself in there now for Tick, 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 Boom. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's those are my thoughts. It's, it's what you expect it to be. Uh, and for some people, that will be enough. For me, I wanted a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a pretty fair analysis on the whole. I, I mean, to me, I think about this is in the same, you know, cut from the same cloth as Ford versus Ferrari, or Bohemian Rhapsody, or Rocket Man. Like these these biopics aren't trying to do anything particularly interesting with their stories, but they're trying to do something interesting through in like the medium they're telling the story in, like. Again, your mileage is going to vary probably in a lot of these different movies, but like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody tried to recreate the concert at the end of the film, <laughs> at the end of the film, um, you know, playing, you know, live recorded music over over the performances you see on the screen. You know, Rocket Man did these interesting sort of jukebox musical numbers throughout the film that tried to break up sort of the story that was happening into these more like energetic and exciting set pieces of, of music. Ford vs. Ferrari was doing incredible stunt work with the cars and the, and the racing itself and i think in this instance king richard is also trying to do something to that ilk i found maybe scott i don't know if this is something that struck you at all while you're watching the movie but something that really struck me and this speaks i think to the acting but also to the commitment of the movie as a whole is that the tennis looks like super authentic and yeah it movie. looks really good yeah yeah and and i was just really really shocked at this i mean you see like any movie with tennis in it, not even like if it's not its primary purpose, especially, but if there's these like throwaway scenes with characters playing tennis, I mean, it's just garbage looking trash. Well, they use some CGI, um, which I think it, it makes it effective here. Probably. So they, so they did use CGI. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I have to say, that's my understanding. I, I am quite impressed with how well Sanaya Sidney is able to emulate the look of Venus Williams's tennis strokes, mm -hmm. which are not typical looking tennis strokes. They ha her backhand especially is one that is, I wouldn't say unique, but it has a very particular motion to it. Um, and as a, a big tennis fan myself, and I've watched a ton of Venus and Serena over the years, I was just really taken with with a lot of the actual tennis itself. 
um, that, that was happening. Cause it looked, I mean, interesting. I'd be interested to read more, more up on what was animated through CGI and, and what was, I guess, real in front of the camera, so to speak. Um, but I was really taken with that. And I think that was, if there's, if I'm to point to one thing that makes this biopic, you know, elevated a little bit, it is the commitment to show some like authentic real tennis in this thing. And I'm not going to sit here and say it's like Sanaya Sidney or Demi Singleton or anyone else cast in this movie who's playing tennis is, is, you know, an all-star tennis player, but they made it look, yeah. they made it look legit. Um, which I was really impressed with, to be honest. I thought Will Smith was great. I thought the whole, kind of to your point, even I thought the whole cast was just like really, really awesome in this film. Um, Anjanu Ellis in her few scenes, especially, or like the scenes where she really is set to shine. Like that, those are the one moments where, where the film like flirts with this idea that Richard Williams is not this like sort of messianic figure for like the tennis career of his two daughters. Um, and starts to sort of pull at some, at some threads, there's that. And there's a couple moments also, I think with John Bernthal's uh, character, Rick, Rick Macy, um, that question it, but I, I just feel like I could have done more. I really do feel that. Um, a lot like what you were saying there that they, they, they could have done a little bit more not to sort of preach to you in any way about like what whether richard was what richard was doing is right or wrong but there's only these like really fleeting moments that don't even feel that serious even in the context of the film when you put it in the hole sometimes yeah. with the exception of the one scene in the kitchen with with Anjanu Ellis, they, they almost seem like perfunctory scenes almost and i feel like they could have more could have been made of those moments. It's uh, it's just trying to introduce dr- dramatic tension, right, in a very sure. formulaic way, right? Again, it, yeah. it it it's all part of the formula, even if it was, you know, maybe giving me more what I wanted, like from the movie. It it doesn't actually commit to like, hey, we're actually going to explore this. It's just like this yeah. is just for some extra melodrama. Yeah, and that was unfortunate because I think there is, I mean, that that is so much of the debate and maybe even the impetus in some way for making this movie about this figure is that he's a very controversial figure in tennis. And yes, his daughters became the the most famous people in women's tennis history, period, full stop. Maybe what he did wasn't always the best for them. Um, I think that, that that has been a real conversation that has happened around Richard Williams in the tennis space for 20 plus years. And this movie presents a different side of that story than I think what is typically portrayed in the media. At the same time, I'm not sure that you can take the story with any more grains of, with any fewer grains of salt than you can often take the media's perspective on when that conversation has happened over the last 20 years. And yeah, like we talk about it every single time these biopics come up, like on Bohemian Rhapsody, the like surviving members of Queen were executive producers. On Rocketman, Elton John was an executive producer. The, the Williams sisters here, Venus and Serena, are executive producers on this film. And if you want some sort of real analysis or some real thought into what Richard Williams, you know, question your Richard, like Richard Williams from a, from a crit, like from a, I guess from a dramatic perspective, if that's the right way to put it, if you want some real teeth on this thing, you're going to have to ruffle some feathers. And there's like, even if Venus and Serena have issues with their, with their father, this is not the medium in which they're going to tackle those issues. Yeah, that would be really surprising if that were the case. Um, yeah. And I think that he, I, I think that this part, as someone who has been really interested in tennis for 15 plus years at this point, you know, this is super interesting subject matter to me. Like I would love a documentary that more went into this, um, you know, with, with, with a little bit more teeth to it, maybe. And the performances, like I said, are, are great. It, it just felt like the the material on the page didn't live up to the subject matter in reality. Um, and I think that is the most disappointing part. But at the same time, to sort of zoom out and take a, you know, a, a wider view of things, I did find it extremely watchable. Um, I don't think this quite is as good as Ford vs. Ferrari for me. Um, but it's it's certainly better. It's certainly better than Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman, in my opinion, if we're, if we're comparing it to other types of um, you know, similar biographical dramas of the past few years. Uh, and, and I guess maybe the most disappointing part is because it did take really interesting subject matter and I just didn't feel like it, it, ha- it delivered on it. Like even the, like some of the other moments, I guess just to jump ahead a little bit, like this moment you know, early on in the film where he's taken a gun from his work and he's you know, potentially going to um, 
try to kill some of the men who had been harassing one of the stepdaughters, um, Tundi. I just found it remarkable that that is just that that is a scene that is completely left on the table. Um, I won't spoil how the scene turns out, but like nothing is made of that scene whatsoever for the remaining essentially like it feels like hour 45 minutes of the movie if not more it's just kind of shocking that seems like such a pivotal moment in his life it's just supposed to like illustrate i guess you know the heart how yeah yeah, uh, of of where they grew up and their background yeah the things that they had to deal with to the point where once this like once the, the sort of scene resolves itself like the same people um who were harassing them once upon a time are like now like rolling through the tennis courts like defending them and like making sure they're all right like it's just really weird and, and that's that also how it happened in reality it just it just comes off very portrayed very strangely and then later in the movie there's a scene where they are at the <laughs> country club and he talks with dylan mcdermott who plays like a agent or something who's wanting yeah. to a high-powered um, agent yeah and the whole the like the you know what happens is basically he keeps remarking on how incredible it is that uh, you know what well, his Venus assistant and Serena have achieved. Yeah, his assistant yeah. keeps remarking yeah. how incredible it is what they've achieved. And you know, Richard Williams takes this, um, you know, in the worst possible way, which is like, hey, you know, you're you're only saying this because you know they're black and they came from come from Compton, basically. And uh, you wouldn't say this to a white person if they you know achieved the same thing. It's it's incredible, you know, that they were able to do this. And I hear him, right? Like, I I understand his point for sure. But also when the movie is actually trying to show us, right, that it is kind of incredible that they made it, right? To to the point, these scenes that that you're talking about, like where they grew up and the things they had to face on their home court, you know, uh, the the gang violence and everything that was surrounding them there. Um, I don't know. It, It felt like a weird moment of like, we're trying to have her cake and eat it too a little bit because they want you to be like, oh, look at how amazing this story is of how far these people came. But then there's also this scene in there that, that is like, well, when you say, you know, that it's incredible or amazing, um, it's almost condescending kind of, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It it is interesting. I, I do think the point of that scene is to illustrate Richard Williams perspective that he doesn't trust these white people coming to him around him because they're just trying to take advantage of his hard work and his success, which he views his daughter's, you know, success as his success. I think the movie makes it really clear about that. But yeah, it is interesting when you have this juxtaposition of, of a film sort of enshrining the, how incredible it is that they're able to achieve what they achieved, that there's, a, it's also taking shots at people trying to credit them for their success and how incredible it is. It's not something that bothered me so much, but I did find it, Oh, an interesting stage setter, I guess, for other parts of the movie. Um, I was watching this with my mom and and with my girlfriend, and, and they sort of both remarked shortly after this that, like, well, if they didn't want to take, you know, these white people's money or these white people's help, like, two seconds later, he's, like, calling up Rick Macy on the phone, like, yeah. trying to get him to take his daughter. And I, and I think that there is a reason for that, that he's trying to negotiate from a position of power and essentially dupe Rick Macy into taking his daughters um, without telling him that they, he refuses to let them compete in tournaments anymore. Um, but it's still like an odd juxtaposition. Like a few scenes later, he's asking help from these same people he's rejecting. And, you know, I don't even need to, to say that I am not a fan of how Richard Williams, you know, what he does in the conclusion of that scene that I was talking about uh, after Dylan McDermott's. Oh, you didn't, you didn't like, you didn't like that shocking no uh not not my favorite brand of humor for sure but um man that's not humor scott that's real life i don't know what to tell you i'm sure he really did that i'm sure he really did yeah i hope he did how would you feel if he did then i'm fine with it <laughs> true to reality baby that's all we got all right Scott. We've talked the about odds it. are low though yeah that's probably fair we've talked about our general impressions here and i think Things, something that we both mentioned is just how impressed we were at this cast. Will Smith, you mentioned getting all the Oscar attention so far, more so than anyone else in the film, although we can talk in a moment about whether there is Oscar potential for some other members of this cast as well. But Scott, talk more about Will Smith. Do you think he sort of embodies the Richard Williams um, that you might be vaguely familiar with from being a passing tennis fan or the montage of clips they show at the end of the film? Does he 
inspire you uh, and and fit the sort of titular King Richard title? I mean, yeah, he definitely utilizes his like movie star charisma. I mean, we're talking about one of the biggest movie stars, you know, of the last 25, 30 years in yeah. Will Smith. Um, and he definitely utilize, he, he, he definitely sort of weaponizes that in a way, right? Because this guy is so persistent and so stubborn and tenacious again. Um, and he like, he's getting under your skin, but also like, you just can't ignore him. Um, and I yeah. think Will Smith's, you know, again, he uses his charisma very well to both, you know, establish, like I said, that he's, um, you know, a, a charismatic figure. Um, and, you know, you understand why he draws people in. But at the same sure. time, he's like, he's trying so hard and um, it gets to be a bit much at times um, in a good way. Uh, you know, I mean, that's obviously what they're going for with the the character. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he gives a really good performance. You know, he's definitely trying to do some impersonation style stuff. Again, when you see the real um, footage of Richard Williams at the end, he talks very similar yeah. to him. Um he tried well, to just, they I try to go pull like full Itania and and show you the clips of uh of the yeah. real people at the end of the film. Yeah. I did not feel like he, you know, he, he I didn't feel like that was the only thing to his performance, right? Like it wasn't a hair and makeup job to use a phrase that I will often sure. use sometimes. I, I I do think he um was able to use his again his presence um to really make this character a presence which he obviously was um for for better or for worse although again i think this movie um you know would suggest for better um i think when you and when you title a move the movie king richard right you you gotta have sort of a larger than life individual at the heart there to live up to that title of king and i think will smith proves that he was the the perfect person to to be able to do that yeah, I, I really do agree. I can't think of, I mean, look, when you're looking for just pure star power, it's hard to find anyone with bigger star power, especially people who could who could reasonably play someone like Richard Williams than Will Smith. I mean, it's it is really good casting. I think it's a really it is a really powerful performance at times, even if I do still question certain elements of the story. At the end, I do find the performance really powerful. I think you kind of have to go into this movie from a producer perspective. I feel like asking yourself, do we want to go big on who plays Richard Williams or do we want to go big on who play, who's directing this film? And they just clearly went in the direction of like, we need someone big to play King, to play Richard Williams in this, which I think is probably the right move. I mean, I don't think anyone this week is going to, you know, kick back on the couch and be like, Hmm, what is this King Richard? Ah, Will Smith. Mm, I don't know. Geraldo Marcus Green isn't a big enough name for me in the director chair. Yeah. So. Um, oh yeah, what did I say, Geraldo? Yeah, Ronaldo Marcus Green. I mean, kind of makes your point, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I watched this movie, and at the end, I was like, oh, he directed this. Um, I didn't even know or care. RMG. Yeah. RMG. Yeah. Let's let's get that started. RMG. Um, yeah. Um, was it Monsters and Men and and Joe Bell or his movies so far or whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I, I feel like that's where these sports biopics like tend to trend in the modern era is we're going to we're going to go big on the movie star. Like you said, I mean, not a lot of these movies have really sure. been directed by big. I mean, I guess James Mangold is kind of an example. It would be an exception. Um, yeah. I mean, Brian Singer Ford. is a big name. I know he got axed and Dexter Fletcher. Yeah. Man, but yeah, sure. I was thinking about sports movies i guess in sure sure but, yeah i mean craig um, gillespie not a huge name for itania to be frank like even going back to something like remember the titans um you know with denzel washington you know boaz yakin directed that movie um and i know there's other examples i'm forgetting but uh, the point is they try to sell these sort of based on the movie star yeah. and the formula more so than yeah i mean moneyball brad pitt is, is the lead and yeah, money. Yeah, that that is true. Moneyball is a little bit more of an unconventional one, but you're right that that movie was sold on Brad Pitt um, yeah. from a from a marketing perspective. It wasn't sold on Bennett Miller's name. Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, that's I think that's just the reality of 
um, how these biopics tend to operate nowadays. Yeah, and I know James Mangold means a lot to us, but I'm not sure that many people give a crap about James Mangold. Like your casual moviegoer, if they look at that, they see Christian Bale and Matt Damon. That's way more attractive yeah. than James Mangold. And it's just the sure. truth. Like he's a, he's a safe pair of hands, but he's not putting butts in the seats by himself. Um, but Will Smith, you know, absolutely he is going to. For King Richard, or at least probably would have if this movie had been in the, in the theater rather than on HBO Max. I just don't think there was much appetite to go see this film in the theater when they could get it on HBO Max for, you know, for some people it's going to be free because they're already paying for the subscription. And for some people it's going to be cheaper than the price of the movie tickets they would have paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure how much is added by seeing this on the big screen. You know, I'm someone who will, you know, vociferously defend the theatrical experience. But if someone asks me whether they there's any enhancement seeing this movie in a theater, I'm, although I have not seen it in a theater, I, I don't think that I could, with a straight face, tell them that it was going to be significantly better if they saw this in a theater versus yeah. uh, on their TV at home. And there always are improvements with, you know, projection and sound, I think, in a theater. But certain movies benefit more from that than others. And I think this is just one that doesn't benefit as much as others that others do. Anyway, that was all supposed to be about Will Smith, but here we are. Um, other members of the cast got Anjanue Ellis, Nia Sidney, Demi Singleton, you mentioned, um, John Barenthal, other members of the cast. I thought they were really strong from top to bottom, but if you had to pick one out that you thought also is in contention that could pick up an Oscar nomination, who do you think that'd be in the cast? I think it would have to be Ingenue Ellis, although I mm-hmm. I would say supporting actress is going to be a tough field this year. At least it is yeah. in my personal uh, nominations that I've been working on. I don't I don't haven't. Really so you can't nominate Jesse Buckley four times for the same movie. It's OK. Well, I, I haven't sat down and parsed out whether the, any of the people I have down are really in the Oscar race, but uh, I'm sure at least one or two of them are. But, yeah, I mean, I think she's you know, she'd be the candidate for me. Um she, you know, she goes toe to toe with Will Smith, and that's really what her character is, right? Because she is, you know, in that kitchen scene, part of it is her character is kind of as important to the journey of getting Venus and Serena to where they are as Richard Williams is. But he's, that's you know, the gregarious guy. He hasn't guy. acknowledged, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't acknowledged that. And also, he's the gregarious guy, you know, he's the one in the the spotlight, he's the one that the media is all on about. So um, mm-hmm. it comes off as, you know, right, he's King Richard, right? This He's the one who built this whole thing. But it doesn't, you know, th- that that ignores the reality that, um, you know, the, they probably don't get anywhere if they don't have Brandy, the, the mother character as well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought that was a really good scene. Like, like I said, I mean, that was... I, those were a lot of the themes that I wa- wish the movie had explored more are, are set up in that scene. And I think, you know, Anjanue Ellis gives a powerful performance again, she, a commanding performance. Um, she, you know, doesn't, she, she shows here, she's not going to take Will Smith's BS. She's not going to take Richard's BS kind of. Um, and, you know, just kind of implores him to, to trust Venus, right. To trust Venus in this tournament. Um, and that ends up ends up going a long way towards you know the the third act of the movie and him letting Venus play in the tournament and everything we see that happens there. So um, it's an important character, even if you know she doesn't have a ton of screen time. Um, and I think she makes the most of it. Yeah, I agree. I think if I had to point to someone, I'd also point to Anjanue Ellis, who was really great in Lovecraft Country, like many of her co-stars in that show last year that's the first time i had seen her and she plays sort of a similar role she plays this housewife um of a character in the show who is sort of in the dark on some things and then really has this sort of coming forward moment in the second half of the season and sort of takes center stage even in some episodes and and really come breaks through her shell in which in a similar spirit i think to when she does really sort of let loose in King Richard in the scene that you're talking about, it makes you wish that she got more, mo- that she got more moments like that throughout the film and that the film had been more committed to maybe exploring the tension between these two people who got divorced, you know, later on in life. Um, you know, their marriage did not last, although it was quite a few years before they got divorced. And Richard Williams entered a relationship with a very young woman after yeah. they split up. Yeah. 
look, pro- probably not worth exploring in this in this movie. To no. be fair, but that's um, not what this movie's about. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not what this movie's about. But I do think the tension that exists there is something that could have been explored more. Um, and and it felt to me, honestly, Scott. And I don't know if you felt the same way, but like every time Anjanu Ellis sort of stood up to the sort of I don't even know, like the quarterbacking that Will Smith's, you know, Richard Williams was doing in this movie with the decisions that were being made without consulting her, whatever it might be. It just felt like there was a real, there was like an extra special spark in those moments between the two of them. Um, and, and sort of the acting chops on display that I was, I was just disappointed that wasn't explored more. I know that maybe at some point that sort of, it, it sort of lessens the whole impact of these moments if, if it becomes overexplored, but I just think there was a lot more potential to explore that there. And, and there were these moments, right, where it does, sh- it does show you um, Brandy or Olacine, Olacine or uh, I think she, I don't really understand the, the connection between her actual name and going by Brandy, but whatever, Brandy, um, working with Serena while Venus is being coached by Paul Cohen, because Paul Cohen does not, um, refuses to, to take on both of them for free uh, after, after hitting with them. And I just think, like, again, like, it plants that seed to bring it up again at the end of the movie when they're having this conversation in the kitchen. But I think there's potential for more of that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think this movie should have been any longer than it was. Cause it was, I felt the movie, although watchable was pretty long. Like I, I paused it several times. Like I think went to the bathroom or something, you know, like got something to drink. And I was just like, Holy cow, only 35 minutes have been, have gone in this movie. That's like crazy. Like it, there's a lot that happens in the film. And so it does feel kind of long. Um, but yeah, I do think Anjanu Ellis is really powerful in this. I do, like Sanaya Sydney. I can't decide. Like, I mean, she'd be another supporting actress role probably, unless they could somehow push her in lead, which maybe they could. I don't know. Um, I don't think there's enough there to get her in the Oscar. Yeah, there, there's probably not I enough juice, like, but I liked the performance a lot. Yeah, all the all of the the daughters, I liked them all a lot um, because you know there's not just Venus and Serena. There's also his stepdaughters. Yeah. Um, and the scene, like, you know, some of the scenes of them together in the van and stuff, just like the five of them, like interacting and stuff was, was, yeah. you know, that was really fun. Those were some of the most um, real feeling moments in the movie. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, some of the family moments you can talk about in the van, I, when they're watching Cinderella at home, that was one for mm-hmm. me that I just thought was, that was a, good a, scene, a, yeah. a really good scene as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you there. And it's almost like because because there's there's five of them and because there's also Demi Singleton and the duo of Venus and Serena, it almost, it dilutes the power, I think, of a particular performance in a way. And it's like hard to, to maybe single those out more. But and I this know, movie it, it stick out to me. And this movie is much more about Venus than it is Serena. I mean, yeah. must be said. Yeah, I was, I know that there's some marketing that I feel like has advertised this more as a Venus vehicle than it is, a, than it is like a, a, a dual vehicle. Um, for Venus and Serena, I do think that they could have played that up a little bit more. I feel like a lot of the mark, like a lot of like the sort of organic marketing, has been around like, oh, it's like you know, it's all about Venus and Serena's upbringing. Which I suppose is true to an extent, but it really, it really does focus on Venus. And I think that sort of segues nicely into this conversation that I think is almost natural to have when you're talking about a biopic that of you know the early life of people who become really great and really famous. Is that like how much of this is like revisionist history almost, you know, I kind of was wondering this as I was watching the movie and particularly, you know, the moment towards the end of the film, just thinking about Venus and Serena where, you know, Richard goes up, you know, walks out on, out onto the threshold of going onto the court and is talking to Serena about how his whole plan getting Venus to be so successful was also, she could become, she being Serena could become Mm -hmm. the greatest player in the world. I'm like, there's no way this guy said this to her. There's just absolutely no way that this happened. Yeah. It's one of those like hindsight moments, obviously now, because Serena did turn out to be the greater player, but um, like, yeah, that, that's a little, that that definitely seems like a little bit of revisionist history. And I honestly, I haven't looked into the whole, like, I guess, you know, this tournament and everything that all probably happened with the way that it's depicted. Oh yeah, no, it did. Yeah. Um, She completely blew that match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was saying earlier, I like how it ends up because ultimately, I mean, look, we know that they both went on to become extremely successful and win a lot of, I mean, probably know, the two greatest female tennis players today yeah. ever, two of the greatest sport. female athletes of all time period. Yeah, um, absolutely. In any, in any sport. 
Um, so everybody knows that. I don't think we necessarily need to have the movie end on one of them winning a, a tournament, right? Because we know that they go yeah. on to like win Venus winning Wimbledon is one potential endpoint for the film because she won this. She won Wimbledon when yeah. she was like seventeen or eighteen years old. It was only a few years later when she won Wimbledon. Um, or they could have just ended it after she she comes back and wins that first match, right? In the the very first first round sure. um, when she comes back, that that could have been it. But Maybe. the point is, and you know, the thing again that I think they do a pretty good job with the thread that they do do a pretty good job with in the movie is like they are. This is a the the success that we see them achieving at the end of the movie is not that they're winning; it is that they are now role models for you know young black women, young young women in general, but especially black women, especially from you know the background that they came from. They're paving um, the way. You know that yeah. we see her walking out of the stadium at the end and every, you know, a lot of the people, including the little girls and everything, you know, applauding and every, you know, as, as she's yeah. walking out of the, the stadium, which is, you know, obviously it's a, it's a fluffy movie moment, but it really gets that point across that like, Hey, they, it wasn't just that they were, you know, great winning tennis players. It was what they have meant to the game of tennis and to, yeah. you know, young black girls. Um, who I, I would like playing to know. the game of tennis. I would like to know if that really happened. It, it felt very Queen's Gambit-y. I mean, Queen's Gambit, not a true story whatsoever. But like, mm -hmm. you know, she wins, Beth wins the ten, the chess, you know, chess world championship or whatever the hell it's called um, out in Russia. And she walks out in the middle of Russia, which she just beat like the most famous Russian chess player of all time. And like all of these Russian women are like chanting her name and stuff. And I'm just like, this can't. This is so unrealistic. Um, I, I don't. I don't think that, that that this is that level of of unrealism. But I'm curious if the, if it was like that. I I really that feels like something that should be verifiable. Um, but it did remind me of that, which wasn't. I, I would not say it's necessarily yeah. a positive thing. Um, but but. In, in general, that was a nice way to end that, and it, and it's also Definitely. a way that that does sort of divert from the this traditional formula right because usually it ends with them winning the big game yeah it's it's not a you're, you're absolutely right i i do think as as sort of eyebrow raising as i found the moment it's a much more effective into the story the story that you know ostensibly has been about the successful tennis that they're creating but i think sort of tries to to wink and nod at you to try to tell you actually this is more about a cultural movement you know a cultural shift more than it necessarily is like an athletic success if that's the right way to phrase it um i don't think the the film does a great job of signaling that wholesale through the film but it certainly does at the end i think it's 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 a heartwarming moment and it does it does frame the movie in a slightly different light than you know showing her winning wimbledon would have yeah. or signing an, uh, a reebok contract for 12 million dollars or something would have i don't know <laughs> right which we get you know we of course we yeah. get that in the the end cards but yeah yeah well scott i don't know i guess i'll ask you is there anything else that sort of comes to mind i think i sort of speak in my piece on this is there any technical element i mean i don't know i didn't really think too much about the score in this it seems like the visual effects might have been pretty good i didn't realize how many visual effects there were in this film but anything else you'd want to talk about uh yeah, not really. I think we yeah we hit most of it. John Bernthal is he's having a great time in this movie, uh, and and I'm happy for him because it seems like mm -hmm. he's one of those supporting actors who oftentimes gets short shrift and like doesn't you know shows up for one scene or two scenes or five minutes or something. And you're like, wow, I kind of wish there would have been more of him in the movie. I mean, he was in yeah. Ford versus Ferrari. Just well, I was about to say, about, I, I but, think he, he's uh, trying to corner the market on like if you need yeah. a supporting performance in a in a sports biopic. Here's my number. But this is call me. Th this is a media role, and he gets to chew on some scenery, and it, you know, it's it's a fun performance. But yeah, uh, otherwise, you know, I think we think we hit the major points in this movie. Sadly, there's not as much to talk about as I would have liked with it. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Scott. Well, with that, um, favorite scene or moment from King Richard? Yeah, I think it's probably that kitchen scene. I'm trying to think if there was any other moments. Yeah, you mentioned the Cinderella. That was fun. Um, you know, I like the stuff at the end. Um, there's good moments scattered throughout the movie, but that's the Definitely. scene I'll point to again, just because it was it was the moment where that the movie actually flirted with what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. It 
you know, gun to head, I think I would choose that scene as well. I guess just just to be different, I will say I did um, I did really enjoy a couple of the scenes early on between Richard Williams, you know, Will Smith's character and and Rick Macy, which is John Bernthal. You're talking about his performance being one that is a media role. He gets to chew on some scenery. I think there's the the first one where he's sort of like walking Richard Williams and the and the girls through the compound, just like completely unaware of of some knowledge that that Richard's about to drop on him. I just there's this sort of like excited youthful exuberance coming out of him that just gets completely deflated so quickly. I just found it very funny. Um, but yeah, it's a good performance. But yeah, God, I, that that kitchen scene's where it. What's I mean, that is the best moment in the film for me. I just think from all sides because you have both of these really strong performances sort of squaring off against each other. Yeah. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving King Richard? It's a solid 6.0. Yeah, I'm a little bit higher on it than you, but not crazy high. 6.7 for me. It's solid, a really solid one. You you called it sort of a down-the-middle crowd pleaser, and I, and I think uh, it is that and deserves credit for being good at what it's trying to do because it's not unfortunately it's not trying to do much more sure (laughs) sure all right well that should do it for our discussion of king richard when we return we will have some news to talk about including some news about martin scorsese's next film after killers of the flower moon as well as some casting for an upcoming mcu film we'll be right back Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, as mentioned before the break, we have some news about Martin Scorsese's next movie after the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon. Tell us about it. Yes. So he's Martin Scorsese is kind of following the trend that uh, quite a few auteur filmmakers have been following recently and making a music movie of sorts, a music biopic in a way. Again, I don't want to lump some of these movies in with um you know with with like the bohemian rhapsodies and stuff i guess i'm thinking more about the documentaries in a way but you know just this year we had uh edgar wright making a music documentary we had todd haynes making the velvet underground we have peter jackson's series about the beatles that's coming out on disney plus get back um and now martin scorsese uh has said that his next film after of course killers of the flower moon which is coming out next year is going to be a biopic of the legendary uh jam band the grateful dead um and the first person cast in this movie is jonah hill who's going to be playing you know the iconic front man of uh the grateful dead jerry garcia um yeah, I mean, the Grateful Dead is is a band that it's probably surprising that there haven't hasn't really been a, a definitive biopic of them thus far because they're one of the the biggest cult bands, if not the biggest cult band of all time. Uh, you know, for to, people will follow them around. You know, the Deadheads, as they're known, will follow them around for weeks, months at a time on their tours. Um, you know, they're they're a jam band. They play a different set list every single night. You know. Um, they kind of were the quintessential jam band in a way. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of interesting aspects um, to their story that this movie will will try to tell. And Jonah Hill, you know, had one of his most acclaimed roles working with Scorsese in The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so I'm sure that's why the two of them wanted to work together again. Um, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. What actor wouldn't want to work with him? But um other than all women, of course. Um, but but uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a cool movie. I mean, look, I, I look forward to anything that Scorsese does, even though I'm not a deadhead. I do like some of their songs, but, uh, you know, I'm very much a casual listener of the band. Um, you know, I didn't know a thing about Sparks before I watched the Sparks documentary this year that Edgar Wright made. Um, and now they're probably going to end up in my Spotify rap for the year um because i've been listening to them so much so who knows maybe it will you know help me discover a love for the grateful dead but even if it doesn't i'm sure it's going to be a really well done and interesting movie um and probably a breath of fresh air from 
some of those biopics, you know, like we were ragging on earlier in the episode. Um, I don't think this is going to fit neatly into the Fletcherverse, uh, we should say. <laughs> yes, yeah, Scott, my question is over under, what's the number of people who are members or have been members of the Grateful Dead who will be executive producers on this film? That's the first question I have to ask you. Um, yeah, because I know I, they've had they've had like ten or fifteen members over the years in, in this band. Yeah, so. the, uh, there that is definitely true. Um, I don't know what will be the case. However, I trust Scorsese to make make his own movie, even if you know somebody signs up to be an executive producer. Of course, Jerry Garcia is is dead. So he long. I mean, he was dead before we were producer. born, right? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. His his estate will be executive producing and making sure that uh, Jonah Hill accurately portrays only the best characteristics about him sure we can't speak ill of the the dead even the long dead you have to be grateful for the dead not not speaking ill of them uh there's probably oh, some yes. better better execution of that joke in there but it's too late on a, on a monday that hey, it, that was a solid one <laughs> yeah uh look i think it's exciting personally i, I like jo- I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't know what was inspiring, inspiring it other than the fact, maybe it was this, maybe it was just the fact that I'm just like so disappointed with what Seth Rogen has done with his entire career. Um, and thinking that like Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill felt like they were on like very similar trajectories at one point in their lives. And just the decisions that Jonah Hill has made of what to do with his, with his filmography post like 2009, 2010, has just been like such better decision making than Seth hey, you haven't seen Pam and Tommy yet. Maybe uh, maybe Seth's going to be the highlight of it. Look, I, I am somewhat excited for that, actually. Because yeah. it's, you know, I, I like Sebastian Stan. I like, it's Lily James, right? Or is it Lily Collins? I forget which one. Lily it's James. Lily, yeah. It's Lily James, yeah. Um, I mean, those are like two great actors, in my opinion. I mean, Sebastian Stan hasn't always had the roles outside of like Itania, I think, to show how strong of an actor he can be but, but that was craig gillespie who's directing you know a few which is exactly what i was going to say because i think he and craig gillespie do have a connection that has been really effective in the past probably sebastian stan's best work um and look i i broke my my no trailer because this isn't a movie so i didn't feel bad about it um but i watched the, the teaser for pam and tommy and i was like damn this this looks good um so i'm quite excited about that and all that's to say uh, look, if Seth Rogen may end up being the highlight of that, I don't know. But I am satisfied that Jonah Hill continues to make decisions with his career that feel a lot less safe. Well, they are safe and maybe different in a different sense, but a lot more adventurous, maybe is a better way to put it, than what Seth Rogen is doing, just churning out you know, Seth Rogen comedy after Seth Rogen comedy, which, hey, that's not for me. It is for some people, but it's not for me. Um, or for me. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting that Jonah, you know, someone of, of Jonah Hill, you, you rewind 10, 11, 12 years, you do not think of Jonah Hill as someone who is a go-to for Scorsese. Um, and now that he's doing his second film with him, that's really awesome in my opinion. And I saw Wolf of Wall Street for the first time earlier this year, and that's a fantastic film. And Jonah Hill's great. Um, so I'm excited to see what they what they come up with. And Jonah Hill playing Jerry Garcia, I mean, that's awesome. That's not casting I ever would have dreamed of, but that's really awesome. Yeah. All right, Scott. Um, that is our first piece of news. Our second is some other casting news. You know, I think it's fair to say after our after Eternals this year, Scott, we were feeling a little bit down on the MCU franchise, feeling a little bit of uh, MCU burnout, if you will. So I think this is an interesting story to talk about because I think that when we spoke about this briefly early, early in the week over over you know messaging, it seems like that we thought that this was this is like the one Marvel property that is like kind of exciting us at this point, and that maybe it's because we don't know anything about it is maybe the answer to that question. Um, but Mahershala Ali, of course, teased as being, you know, Blade in, in the MCU's version of the sort of Wesley Snipes classic trilogy of films. He's playing Blade. But we hadn't heard much about this movie until the second Eternals post credit scene that seems to have a connection to the upcoming Blade film. And just this past week, we also heard that Delroy Lindo, who's having a bit of a career resurgence, over the last year or two, between things like *The Five Bloods* and *The Harder They Fall* and a few other, uh, a few other appearances here and there, he's also going to be playing some role alongside Mahershala Ali in *Blade*. Now, whether he'll be playing a sort of comrade of of Blade or whether he'll be playing the villain, you'll play, be playing a a vampire. Unclear. But Scott, does this casting do anything for you? I know that 
we're not super down on Blade specifically, but we're not feeling super excited with the MCU at this point. Is this good, bad, neutral? Where do you where are you falling on this? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, this is another MCU thing that I was excited about when we first heard about it. I mean, I think Mahershala Ali is a great person to play Blade. Um, yeah, I do need to watch the original uh, films with Wesley Snipes. Um, yeah. So, but but I was excited about the casting. I was excited about because Blade is something different than what we, sure. you know, at least on paper than what we've been getting in the MCU. Um, and, uh, you know, Delroy Lindo should be a great addition to that as well. Like you said, he's been having a resurgence. Um, so I'm sure this will be a nice, juicy role for him in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. This is being directed, you know, again, I'm kind of like trepidatious, but the guy who directed that Riz Ahmed movie, Mogul Mowgli, that came out this past mm-hmm. year, he's the director of this. Um, I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't either, but it, it kind of feels like, one of those situations where it's not quite a Chloe Zhao, right? Because Chloe Zhao, you know, was a known commodity and just won an Oscar, you know, had a best picture winning film, but maybe more like in where they get like Kate Shortland, right. For the, for black widow, or they got Anna Fleck and Ryan Bowden or Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, whichever, you know, way I think their it's names the latter. Go. Yeah. I think for, uh, for, um, for Captain Marvel um you're torn up about this and, it's totally messing with your brain right now <laughs> yeah i am uh, words um but which you know just turned out to be kind of anonymous movie so that's what that's what i um you know i'm concerned about i guess with seeing this kind of unknown director doesn't have a big movie under his belt like chloe but that's most did, of right the, like taika that's like most of the mcu though right I mostly directors that. who aren't getting huge movies under their belts before they're directing mcu movies. Is that, isn't it I, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I think those two examples that I gave are are examples. Um, but I mean, I'm not the Russo really sure. brothers I mean, certainly didn't have any. Yeah, I mean, I guess before. I guess that's true. Um, but I still, I don't know. I still think like you know, John Favreau, Shane Black. Uh, the list, the list goes on. I guess John Watts is another example. Maybe he didn't really do that much before. It's probably a mixture. Honestly, yeah. it's probably probably a mixture of of bigger names, but. My point is, I don't think this guy. Yeah. I guess Kugler. Kugler had done, done Creed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think Basam Tariq falls in the same camp as like a Ryan Kugler, as like a Taika Waititi. Um, right, the people who have really been able to put their own stamp on the Marvel movies that they directed. So I I, I worry that this is just like he's just like a disposable name they're going to throw in there, um, who will just allow yeah. I think them I need. To, I think I need to, to see do whatever they Mowgli. want. If that built, if that was like really infused, yeah. style, like any sort of like like directorial style or not. Yeah, that's that's probably a a good shout. But you know, I mean, Blade is something that needs style, right? Like Guillermo Guillermo sure. del Toro directed, you yeah. know, the first two of them. Yeah, two or just the second one, I can't remember. But um, I think he directed both of the first two. Um, no, I think he just directed the second one actually. But um, Regardless, uh, you know, he's obvious, obviously, you know, probably brought a lot of style to that. Again, I haven't haven't been able to see it yet, but I want to before this comes out. So, yeah, he just only the second one. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, there are a lot of promising pieces, but I just worry that this will be one that the first trailer comes out and it's just like Eternals. I'm like, well, never mind. I'm not excited for this movie anymore. Yeah. Look, I think I'm not sure. Like. My question is, like, do you need a director who puts their, like, stylistic, I don't know, signature on a movie when you have Mahershala Ali as the lead role? Like, isn't Mahershala all you need for the movie to really be successful as long as the MCU doesn't fall into maybe some, like, really stereotypical pitfalls that we've seen in a couple of the films? Now, maybe they can't avoid falling into that without a director who can imprint their own style onto the film and sort of guide the film and the characters and the plot around these these potholes that sort of appear in like you know the highway that is the mcu sort of machine at this point i I guess i I don't know the answer to that question but i do think i mean marshall ali's movie swan song this year the apple tv plus movie is getting absolutely rave reviews 
which maybe shouldn't be surprising. I mean, this guy is like an absolute, you know, meteor. Every time he hits the screen, it feels like he gets talked about in awards conversation. Every time he has a movie come out, he's an absolutely magnetic, uh, you know, he's a magnetic presence on the screen in films. And I almost wonder if, you know, he has that extra stuff to sort of like, you know, like a Samuel L. Jackson, L. Jackson might even, if he were ever to lead an MC movie alone, like, do you need someone to imprint a style upon the film when you have the charisma and sort of magnanimity of a, of a character that is Blade and is played by Mahershala Ali? Obviously, I have no way of answering that question until I see whatever movie they end up coming out with. But Basim Tariq, you know, especially if he's used to working with you know, these sort of like almost character type actors. I do think that Riz Ahmed is like a character actor. And I do think Mahershala Ali is kind of a character actor in a way that sort of gets yeah. funneled into these sort of big roles. If you have someone who can manage that and allow those to shine through, again, I haven't seen Mogul Mowgli, so a lot of this is just sort of talking in the dark. But if he's able to do that well, then I think he could be a really good fit uh, for this type of movie. I mean, that was like, that was like kind of the Russo brothers job, right? It's just like, stage the movie and get out of the way and just like guide everyone's attention through the film. And they did that well. Um, it's almost as, as they've taken more sort of directorial autonomy post MCU movies that they've either produced or not directed. I mean, that's, that's been the danger zone for them. It feels like. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, it's hard for me to get too revved up about anything the MCU has done. Uh, you know, after how how I felt about most of Phase Four, but um, this well, three is three movies definitely, it's early, it's early days. Yeah, this is definitely you know one of the most eye catching products that they uh, projects that they you know have out there uh, in the future. It's only a matter of time till we get that third atrocity Fantastic Four film. It's only a matter of time. Look, hopefully, some they'll find someone who can do it. Who knows? I just Maybe want. I, I want. I'm ready for X Men again. You say that, Scott. But they'll they'll ruin your little Wolverine. They probably they probably they'll will. do it dirty. <laughs> they probably will. Unfortunately, they won't be able to find a better Wolverine. That's just the truth. They won't find a better Hugh Jackman. No, absolutely not. Uh, and, and honestly, yeah, I mean, if they were we smart, they to... won't have Wolverine. They won't have. Wolverine we don't have to get into to X Men discourse, but yeah, I mean, they probably won't find a better Magneto than Michael Fassbender either. If we're being honest, but oh, I thought you were going to say Ian McKellen, but all right. Well, old Magneto, obviously, yeah, versus, yeah. versus young Magneto. If we're playing, if we're doing the old, if we're playing the old card too, are you going to find a better Professor X than Patrick Stewart? Probably not. Like James McAvoy, baby, why not? <laughs> no, I, I mean these are like super. Like that's the problem, right? Like even if you're not a huge fan of where some of the X Men movies went and any of the sequels, like the original X Men movie is iconic enough to like sort of make these roles sort of off limits. It feels like. And the obvious answer now is that they're just going to, they're just going to bring them back. Right. Like they're going to do another days of future pass. They're literally just going to wheel wheelchair Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. I mean, Patrick Stewart, it fits his character. Yeah. I was going to say, it fits the character for Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll get Oscar Isaac a second chance to play character and as an X Men, but I guess not. He's Moon Knight. So, He's off limits for the MCU. Uh, who's going to be left? I don't even know. Oh, there's people. There's always people. There's new people Ethan coming Hawk all the time. Ethan Hawke is Magneto. Do you want that, Scott? Do you want that? Do you really want not, that? Yeah. Would you prefer him as Magneto or would you prefer him as Professor X? Would you prefer him as Wolverine? I'd prefer him as Magneto. I think I'd actually prefer him as Beast. I think Ethan Hawke could be a good Beast. Yeah. Anyway, Food for thought. <laughs> we said we weren't going to go into the X-Men discourse, and I think we sort of dipped our toe in the water a little yeah. bit. So, yeah. so time to time to recoil appropriately. I think that should do it for episode 167 of Some Like It, Scott. What are your parting thoughts to leave us with? What's your Thanksgiving movie, Scott? That This is actually a great piece of discourse for us. What's, what's your Thanksgiving movie this year? Scott, there's only one answer. Movie that features the giant, the biggest giant uh, butterball turkey that has ever been depicted on film before. And it is, of course, cooked by Aunt May in Spider-Man 2002. Um, talk, talking about, I fit, segued perfectly from like our discussion yeah. of Marvel and the early 2000s Marvel movies. But um, yeah, yeah I, I I will probably be watching it on Thursday because okay. um, the last the last time I watched it, actually, I was like, you know what? This is a Thanksgiving movie. Um, there is there yeah. is that great 
Thanksgiving scene. And um, you got to get ready think? for Willem Dafoe to be back, baby. Is I am back. Is it uh, him? I don't know. I haven't see. I haven't watched the trailer, Scott. I have stayed true to my no trailers uh, mentality. And I, I haven't I didn't watched watch it either, but I think he is. I think he is. Because is it is it him or is it Dane DeHaan? Who who's coming back as Green Goblin? That's a good question. I don't know. It might be because Jamie Foxx is definitely in the trailer. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so he it is. Might, it might be Dana. I've seen this. They gotta have of, of a life. They gotta have I've Willem. Seen it. Like that would just be so stupid if they brought back Dane DeHaan as Goblin <laughs> and not Willem Dafoe. I mean, come on, guys. Um, Maybe you can't yeah, pay Willem probably... Dafoe enough money to come back for these movies. I would respect that if that was the the case. But yeah, it, it'll probably be Spider Man. It's it's a great, it's a fun movie. Yeah, I mean, Scott, I, I feel like I talk. About, I think I talked about this on the podcast before. It's Knives Out for me. Knives Out is the great Thanksgiving movie. Um, you know, fair enough. I, I don't know what else to say. What better capsulates spending time around the holidays with family than knives out? I'm not sure. See, that's that's where you lose me because <laughs> it's about you know family members who basically just want to kill each other. But you know, it's I chaotic. Suppose. But but yeah. But I suppose that's like Christmas time. vacation is at Christmas. You know. Yeah. yeah, Scott's over here shit talking my my pick for Thanksgiving movie, and he's gonna say it's Christmas movies, Christmas vacation <laughs> in a month. Now, Little Women is definitely a Christmas movie now. Little Women, Eyes yeah. Wide Shut. Um, well, well, my my one-two part. I don't know if I, if this is what I'm going to do this year, but my one-two last year was watch Little Women in like the two and a half hours right before the New Year, and then watch 1917 to start the New Year. Hmm. Um, which actually worked quite nicely. Karen was a huge fan. I mean, we've seen we had seen Little Women before too, but she was a huge fan of watching that right before New Year's on New Year's Eve. It passes the time perfectly because there's this like weird anticipatory time always around new year where like like do i stay up until midnight and watch the ball yeah. drop or do i just go to bed at 9 p.m and you can just and put little another, women on and it's totally fine it's a long movie that doesn't feel long right it, you know yeah. it's it's very extremely engaging obviously so that Absolutely. it passes the time like you said and yeah. you're not bored yeah and, and then i'm just so amped to start the new year that i gotta do a wonder i gotta do a wonder with my boy sam um <laughs> and uh we we, we let it rip at midnight you do you yeah yeah uh i don't don't know if i'll replicate that this year but that was a really enjoyable you know four and a half hours of my life last 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 year so i might i might do it again um but time will tell we'll we'll revisit that topic in about a month but that's it guys so watch spider-man and and knives out and i i think you nailed thanksgiving i think this is like a great thanksgiving yeah send tweet i mean we're done so with that, uh, where can people find you on Letterboxd? At Scarvy Dent. Awesome. And you can find me at, at Shelton2013. Uh, you can also follow our podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. You can check out all the different reward tiers over there. If you support us, we'd really appreciate that. But if not, it's okay too. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you could rate, review, subscribe, share, that would We'd really appreciate that. A lot of big holiday movies coming up um, that I think people are going to want to see and may or may not want to listen to us talk about them. Um, But share with your friends if you can. That'd be cool. And we'll be back next week with a review of House of Gucci. We hope you'll join us then. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 